Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing okay. Um, this is bizarre, um, and I pray that it will be not just bizarre, but it would be um, feeding our souls and um, and good for us as well. Um, I am actually in my uh, dining room. Um, uh, I that have become a light technician now too um, in my spare time, trying to figure out how uh, light works and depending on time of the day or you know. Here we go. We're just doing the best we can. And I wanted to uh, just thank again, like Chris said, all the people who've helped make this work. Um, it's probably going to be a little bizarre because I'm looking out in front of my, um, my, or looking out the front of my house. And so people have got to be wondering why this man is standing in front of a computer um, with his hands and, and what have you. Um, so uh, let me start by just reading the scriptures for us today um, through Romans 13. And it's one through seven. And when I do that, be reminded that that we're in an age and a time in which our relationship with civil as a church is really important. And let's hear what um, Paul has to say about these things. <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then, then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant, for you are good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Three weeks ago, when we were actually deciding to move to streaming worship, I almost skipped ahead to this passage. Because of our clear call from scripture, we were wrestling with something, a clear call from scripture to gather to worship, and what at that point seemed the government's kind of growing wishes to limit such gatherings. In the end, of course, our authorities did not uh, refuse uh, our meeting, and we, frankly, as elders, decided to not meet for an act of love of neighbor, not in um, submission to, to the governing authority. And yet now, freely, we submit to our authorities, not just because we love our neighbors, though that is the number one thing, but also because of what verse 5 says, that in some ways we are, um, are avoiding being punished by the civil authorities, and are glad to have a good conscience before our neighbors. Remember, these verses in 13 are directly tied to last week's verses, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, leave, leave, live peaceably with all. See, y'all, likely the governing authorities will require and enforce more restrictions on us as citizens. So, how will the church? How will we as Christians respond? 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Is that an absolute statement? If so, are revolutions always disobedient to God? Wait a second, should America even exist at all? Or should we still be under the crown? Is it wrong for Harriet Tubman to disobey scriptures as she led people from slavery? And how does this work with, we're talking about Rome as an empire, uh, it was ruled by a single person. How does this play out in modern government under the ideals of democracy? We don't, we don't submit to a single leader, but, elected, but elect our servant leaders and their authority is derived from us. Now, I'm not going to answer all these questions. But anyone who begins to answer these questions, among other passages, must actually make their way through Romans 13. And this is not new for Christians in this country. A large percentage of pastors oppose the Revolutionary War because it's lack of submission to King George. And they brought up Romans 13 to do it. And yet the majority of them saw that the crown's corruption was so great that liberation from it was, in fact, God's best. They felt so sure of it that they thought they were doing God's will. This is a crazy fact. You may not know this or not. But in the Continental Congress, in the first copies of the Declaration of Independence, below it um, was uh, instructions because it was not sent out to, um, to clerks or to newspapers. It was actually sent out to clergy people, to pastors. And it said on the bottom of the Declaration of Independence, required to read the same uh, to their respective congregation as soon as divine services ended in the afternoon on the first Lord's Day after they have received it. This is fascinating to me. Astounding, actually. The church was then used for a tool of the government publicity or propaganda, depending on how you think of the American Revolution. And yet further in American history, in Romans 13, was brought up all the way throughout the Civil War, both in the emancipation of slaves, that that, 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 should, that should occur and you should submit to the government, but also in the Fugitive Slave Acts that said, oh no, you must return slaves to their owners. Arguing about two very different things, opposite things, both invoking Romans 13 or invoking some other higher calling from God, disregarded Romans 13 as well. Think about that. Even in our own times, in June of 2018, the Attorney General officially invoked Romans 13 to justify family separation at the border. I wrote about this on social media a while back from a pastoral and biblical perspective, and I'm sure you could find it online if you'd like. But people have interacted with this text in a lot of different ways, and it's not just an American reality. The Third Reich, some German pastors preached Romans 13 in submission, to be in submission to uh, Hitler's reign. Other pastors like Bonhoeffer became part of a resistance against him. And this seminal um, work on this kind of stuff comes actually from Augustine in the fourth century in Rome. And he wrote a ton about the city of God and the city of man in these ways. Now, pro tip, as you start thinking about how we orient to Romans 13, you always got to watch out who is quoting Romans 13. Depending on where they are in the authority structure, it does really matter. It was the slave owners quoting, quoting Romans 13, not the slaves. And Paul 
It's actually an oppress, a leader of oppressed people who's quoting it. And that really does matter. So let's go back to Paul. He's writing to this ragtag group of Christians, the majority of whom are just getting back into town after a 10-year forced exile under the cruel regime of Claudius, where they were kicked out. All ethnic Jews were kicked out from Rome, and that meant the Jewish Christians went with them. So when Nero takes over, who is his, uh, who, from his uncle, he invited them all back in. And now that we, we know later that Nero is kind of a mess, but his first few years of the reign were, were of his reign were, were, were not so bad. He became full-blown crazy and tyrannical in the end. But that's who Paul's writing to. Roman Christians have a target on their back as a whole, and he writes to them about how they should live in, the, in light of the mercy and power of Jesus. So please hear me. This is not just like sage advice. This is a communique to a struggling band of beat up followers of Jesus on how to best live in light of this incredible experience of the forgiveness of sin, of the restoration to their true selves and the restoration to God that's happened in light of this good news of Jesus. And that's what's going on. Remember, he's just said, you can't seek revenge. You can't, you can't, you can't fight back. The, Vengeance and vigilantism, vigilantism is, is not an option for us. So all authorities are his, and he's going to use those authorities at their best to bring about the, some of the justice he's there to bring. There is no authority except from God that exists, that have, uh, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who will resist will incur judgment. So he said he set up these authorities to bring a judgment to bear so that we don't actually do the vigilantism ourselves, that we don't bring vengeance to neighbor. And even in governments that are founded in violence and treachery, like Rome, they will work these things out to some degree or to a degree in which the Lord is using them. See. He's instituted all authorities. I find it a little silly sometimes when you hear people say, God has put X person into office. The, the Bible teaches that he's put all persons into office. And that it's an absolute true, true reality. He is the sovereign one who, who has instituted governments. And he instituted King George and Nero and Trump and Merkel and King Jong-un and Boris Johnson and Modi and Khomeini and Trudeau and Avi. He is the all-powerful and holy sovereign who has allowed weak and fallen sovereigns to rule under him. It has always been the case, and it will always be the case. That does not mean that any of these leaders are good at their jobs or their policies are godly. They are sanctioned by him, not celebrated by him per se. And that because they have been sanctioned by him, that we have a default reaction to obey them. It is not the only reaction, it is our default reaction to obey them. This is especially true because believers in Rome were really kind of powerless, both in number and, um, and, and power, to do anything about the corruption in Rome. So there's a wisdom here, right? Like 
you know, you didn't vote out your emperor. And so there's a wisdom here that says, like, don't cause more problems for yourselves. Live at peace as it depends upon you. So please, as you read these, read Romans 12 and 13 together. It's one of the most unfortunate break chapter breaks that we have because it makes you think this whole stuff is all this stuff is like a new topic. No, it's all about um, about how how we're going to be wise and the renewing of our minds and the ways of grace and peace to to not create foolish trouble for ourselves, but but to be reminded who's in control and for us to live at peace with our neighbors, to outdo Nero with good, and to follow God's purposes. And so, what are his purposes for these governments? And it's pretty simple. Their their job is to do justice, to award good to punish evil. It's kind of that simple in this passage. There are other passages in the scripture that say, uh, include the caring of the poor and, and many other things that uh, bringing justice to bear in other ways. And that's what three through um, five are all about. They're not a terror to do to, to good conduct, but to bad conduct. They don't have to worry about the governing authorities. If you're doing what is good, you'll receive their approbation. And that's a good thing. If you, do be, if you do wrong, you should be afraid, for God uses the government as his servant to carry out his, um, his justice on people who are doing wrong. So we subjugate ourselves, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also so that we can be in good conscience before our neighbors. He's saying that an authority's purpose is to be part of the bearing out of justice for people and the celebration of good. Governing authorities rightly have a power of the sword of prosecution and penalty, and that is real. And the lesser developed reality, I think in most governments, is that governments are supposed to celebrate and praise and approve, lift up what is good, which is a really cool function of government. When I become president, I'm gonna have a, a cabinet member whose sole job well, let's just call it the secretary of celebrating the good. I'm pretty sure it'll be an awesome job. So it's simple, Paul says. God establishes the authorities, even the bad ones. And, see, and since he does, he does so, or and in doing so, he's asking them to do justice and celebrate goodness. That's why we're subjective to them. God says that, Governments are part of my governing the world. And so you don't take the justice in your own hands. Let me do it and let me use systems to do it. And don't get on the wrong side of them, especially the corrupt ones, those who have banished my very people from their own city. So obey wherever you can. That's what six and seven are all about. Hey, just pay your taxes. The authorities are servants, ministers of God, attending to, to the very thing. Pay to all who owe them taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue, to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. He's saying, get along as best you can, give honor, let them have their taxes, give respect, honor, whatever you have. And this is huge, because in that day, there was actually a debate, a lively political debate under Nero's reign about indirect taxation. You think we have tax issues and we fuss about that. They, everyone's always fussed about taxes. But Paul says, don't worry about it. Give, just pay it. Overcome whatever is, is, issues are happening with good. 
Remember last week, we give food and water to our enemies. We give taxes to our oppressor. We give respect to anyone we can, wherever we can, as much as we can. We give honor to all who are due it. Let me try to summarize here and then try to transition to a couple of questions. We never avenge because God does his justice his way and he uses authorities, even bad ones, to punish evil, to amplify good. So don't resist them in their doing of good and justice. Give them the stuff they ask for and give them any honor you can. And in one sense, it's kind of just that simple, sometimes hard, but it is that simple. So let me transition now to maybe a more practical, maybe how this happens in our world and then why. Let's talk about how for a minute. And let me do that by, by having a bit of a thought exercise for us. I'm gonna name some governing officials, not people, not their names, but uh, some categories of governing officials. And I want you to try to figure out how, how you feel, what comes up internally. Police officer, senator, governor, president, IRS, what is your attitude towards these authorities? Is it possible that we've become too cynical? Is it possible that Christians should be the happiest taxpayers around? Is it possible that we at least need to move um, about speaking kindly about our governing authorities as, as least as much as we talk about their folly or speak negatively of them? And I'm in this boat with you in the need for repentance here. Could it be that we can change our prayer lives toward begging Jesus to help all of our governors, even if and as we call out their corruption or ineptitude even? Please, please do not hear me say that we're supposed to respect or honor evil, honor evil behaviors or corrupt people. We are not. We are never to call uh, good what is evil. But also let Romans 13 push us to have a Godward eye to see how the Spirit might be shaping us in relationship to civic authorities, to grasp the reality that Jesus is working in our governing authorities. Now, I need to take a, a big kind of sidebar here because we cannot proclaim what Jesus is doing with our governing authorities. That is folly. To attribute God's approval to a specific political act or actor is not just completely foolish. It takes our Lord's name in vain, and we are never to attribute that loyalty or that kind of vox day, that kind of power and significance and weight. We don't see clearly enough for such certainty. Only God can speak like that. And we cannot baptize our authorities' acts as if they were, if we knew what God was doing in those acts. The church is never a tool of the state, Martin Luther King said. We, we, we must be reminded that we are neither its master or a servant, but rather its conscience. 
and we cooperate with it or we contest it. And we do so because we belong to another kingdom. Fr frankly, what some of my fellow ministers have said about current God turning the tides of a specific, uh, of elections for a specific candidate because Christians prayed is this close to, to, to heresy. We're just not allowed to speak like that. All governing authority is derived as a derived good, not a divine right, and certainly not a divine affirmation. We can never mistake God's use of authorities as an approval of the individual authorities or their behaviors. Y'all look, Nero looked like a godsend compared to Claudius. That is until he lost his mind and became one of the most tyrannical uh, human beings that ever ruled. Paul wouldn't say God affirmed Nero when he was good, but then doesn't later. It's, it's, it, he wasn't even really that good then. He's saying God is using all of this. And so be subject to this as he moves the world forward. Political systems have their place in society, but Christian is never called to confer any of those systems the quality of the absolute, says Emilio Nunez. So we cannot discern exactly what God is doing, but we can trust that he is working in and through governing authorities, the specifics of which were always gonna be unclear to us. We simply don't know when God is acting in judgment or in blessing, but we do know that he is at work. He is at work. So please hear this, that Paul isn't justifying corrupt, unjust, tyrannical, worldly governments. In fact, he's saying that there's another loyalty to another government, the governing authority of the kingdom of Jesus, which actually brings us to the why. Paul is writing in Romans as a whole, about Jesus and his universal reign in the world. How we can live in light of the kingdom that he brings, one of justice and righteousness and grace and love that is being proclaimed in the gospel, in this good news to the world. So Paul tells this oppressed people group living in the shadow of the empire, why are you doing this? You're to live a quiet life, non-rebellious life, and things will go well for you. Pay your taxes, obey the laws, be a generally good, decently behaved human being or community. But it's not just so you'll lay low and not be bothered, but it's actually for the sake of proclamation to outdo all the evil in the world with good so that the world would know it's true king, governed by a different way of being in the world than all other governors. So he's reminding us of the cosmic reign of Christ that, that includes the trifling fiefdoms of men and their purposes pale in comparison to the, to the glory and beauty of what Jesus is bringing in the world and the glory and beauty of who Jesus is. He says, give them their pittance of taxes. We have the pearl of great price. Paul says, take it on the chin. Our lives are hidden in the beauty and mystery of Jesus in his righteousness because of his love. He's telling us that Rome is a footstool, that the U.S. is a footstool, the U.N. is a footstool. And all of that, all of them are nanoseconds on the timeline of eternity. That Nero was a pawn, that Trump is a pawn. They're all pawns in the work that he is doing. And he is specifically at work to beautify, which does mean sanctify or purify his own bride, and to magnify, to glorify his son.
And he's doing this regardless of who is in charge, precisely because he is in charge. Paul tells us today that we must consider what it means that God wants his world, wants his world to be governed under a, a rule of appropriate law. But at the same time, Jesus is already installed as the supreme Lord of heaven and earth. And this is precisely how Christians have been able to, to practice civil disobedience. We have a long record of practicing civil disobedience because our loyalties are to a different kingdom. I love what, what the great prophet, American prophet, my, our Christian brother Frederick Douglass said in, in his completely clear conscience, celebrating his rebellion against the unjust laws of slavery. I appear this evening, he says, as a thief and a robber I stole this head, I stole these limbs, and I stole this body from my master, and I ran off with them. See, we live in a city of man, and we play by the rules as we can, even at great cost to ourselves. But more, we live in a truer city, the city of God that is undetectable by borders or passports, but completely detectable by love and righteousness and care of neighbor and worship and proclamation of Jesus, by the grace of his reign in our lives. We live in both, but our ultimate loyalties are to the one who not only loved us in his own death, but rules over us perfectly. Y'all, Jesus's reign of love has abounded to us who have rebelled against his great intent both in civic government and in his moral law. We have fought against his good and pleasing his good and, and pleasing him and governing his good governing of the world. Our rebellion from him is real and our shame and regret and guilt have been great and acute. But the good news, the reality of Jesus's reign is Jesus has come to bring grace and love and forgiveness against this sin of this reign of sin and death. And Paul's purpose in Romans is to proclaim the absolutely mind-boggling mercy of God in creating a kingdom of his beloved. And it is from that sure citizenship, that absolutely sound reality, that defines our relationship with all earthly governors and authorities. But the purpose is not submission to authorities. The purpose is the manifestation of the majesty and glory, the pronouncements, the proclamation of the reign of grace. And this is precisely why we can live as submissive citizens, because the revolution of Jesus is toppling all lesser reigns in the world. And as that, in disobedience and all the other stuff in Romans 12, 13, 14, and on, all of that, all the ethics therein, are pointed towards the showing off of the majesty and the beauty and the grace and the mercy of the reign of Christ. And that's why we live out the way we do. The Lord be with you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, in these next few weeks, maybe months, we're going to have all sorts of quirky relationships internally with our authorities. Would you help us? Find where you are in that. Know that you can be trusted in that. But be so aligned to your kingdom that we would live by its rules, by 
your reign, and that in so doing, even as we submit wherever we can, you would look more beautiful to the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.